in-office studios of his eye care practices in Nashville, Tennessee. It's As I See It with Dr. Jeff Kegaris, your source for eye care education and receiving the type of patient relationship you deserve. It is time for a patient revolution. And now, your host, Dr. Jeff Kegaris. Welcome to another edition of As I See It. Today, we're going to talk about vision therapy, how we really see, and we want to focus on one of our subspecialty areas, another one that not only improves vision, but the way we see and changes lives. It's performance vision therapy. I've asked our office manager and director of therapy, Holly Weaver, to join us and give us some background on this valuable therapy, who it helps, and how they approach it. Holly, welcome to As I See It. Thanks for sharing your time and expertise. Absolutely. It's good to be here. Yeah, In its simplest definition, vision therapy is just physical therapy for the eyes. And I think people can relate or understand that, but it's really a lot more than that, isn't it, Holly? It is indeed. Uh, so we deal with a lot of kiddos and adults that struggle with their everyday vision. And there's a very big difference between your everyday functional vision and just your vision when you go in to see your eye doctor. So we're going to dive into a couple of those things and what that means to have your everyday vision struggles and just your yearly annual eye exam struggles. Okay. Well, it, it seems like as we get into it, there are kind of for us, three main buckets of therapy. I think you probably have some more, but I think about trying to improve amblyopia, which is a really long medical word for a lazy eye. Uh, number two, muscle or functional issues that uh, really we associate with reading. Those are convergence and focusing. And then the whole eye-brain relationship, which a lot of our patients have needs for uh, that's visual processing or the eye brain connections is that is that a reasonable way to break it down a little bit maybe you can help me with some more yeah absolutely so typically when we talk to somebody about vision therapy um, and how it differs from your annual eye exam with your doctor your annual eye exam is going to be how well you see at 20 feet and how clearly you can keep that picture clear and then your overall general health of the eye what we do is everything else so everyday vision you use it for reading you use it for driving you use it for catching things as they're coming at your face um, being able to clear things at all distances so that's going to be more that functional vision and how that differs um, and then how well your brain is processing what you see all of the information that you take in when you're reading when you're doing other activities and what that says about your brain and your eye connections is very important because yeah, the the eye is really when we think about it we have 12 cranial nerves coming out of the brain and uh, cranial nerve two goes into each eye that's the optic nerve the eyes are really an extension of the neurology aren't they of the brain so we if all we have is just the eye not connected to the brain we can't really tell anything can we exactly <laughs> so i like to explain to to my patients when i really think about overall how we see that the first part is taking an image that's out in the world and then having it come in 
go through the optical system of the eye to the retina, where we all learned in biology. It kind of flips upside down, and then it sends way back into the back of the brain. I always like to hit the back of my brain, because that's where everything is aimed or, quote, focused. That's the occipital part of the brain. And so we work in a general comprehensive eye health and vision exam to make sure that we've got a clear focus back there in that part of the brain. Um, Sometimes, some of what you're talking about, the convergence, the focusing, all of those things up close can limit that. We'll talk about those in a second. But basically, let's assume I can get it back to the back of the brain pretty clearly. But then I'm supposed to take a highway from the back of the brain to the frontal part of the brain where I interpret what I see. And what we find in a lot of kids, um, a good number of adults also, is that instead of taking the direct highway, we kind of take, you know, the scenic route. And so our ability to then interpret what we see takes longer, maybe isn't quite complete, and that limits us in our ability to read with with uh, enough speed, with enough acuity, but a lot of times with enough recognition and remembrance of what we just looked at, right? So there's a whole lot of this combined, okay? Absolutely. So let's try to break it down a little bit in this episode and talk about the things that have been so medically researched as valid, and those are Ambliopes, people that have lazy eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that colloquially we call it a lazy eye, and we know that there are three main causes of lazy eyes. Number one, people can be born with a cataract or something that just blocks the vision in one eye, mm-hmm. and therefore, even when we take that out, the brain says, yeah, but um, your other eye is the clearer eye. Okay, So for a long time, maybe it's an injury or a cataract or something, people just have a stronger eye. The more common types that we see are, number one, I have a turned eye. If one eye's straight and the other one's turned, and then that goes on long enough, either the eye turns in, turns out, the brain says, wait a minute, I'm getting two pictures, one over here and one over there, and I don't like double vision. So what does it naturally do? It says, how do I fix this? And at a high level, it turns off one of the images. It hates seeing double. It would rather suppress one image. If that's suppressed for a long period of time, that eye, even when we come back, give it the right prescription and get the eye aligned and focused and aimed straight, is not going to see as well as the good eye, if you will. So we have a long-term muscle issue causing a lazy eye. The third, and really maybe the more common that we see, and this is because this is imperceptible to parents, would be somebody who's born, and we're usually farsighted when we're born, and that farsightedness gradually reduces over time. But if the prescription is very different between the right eye and the left eye, let's say somebody is twice as farsighted in one eye, then the brain goes, okay, I can only work a certain amount. I can work a little bit for the right eye. I can work a whole lot for the left eye. Nah, I'm just going to work the little bit. And what that effectively does is that means if you have a higher prescription in one eye versus the other eye, the child will say, I see fine, because that's the way they see. But what we find is that the higher prescription eye ends up being weaker or having amblyopia due to a higher prescription. And that's lifelong. Uh, And yet, all of these causes, all of these lead to this lazy eye thing, all right? So that's kind of the basis for this. But those things can be improved, can't they? If we find somebody at age five and we say, whoa, for whatever reason, Johnny has a lazy eye that we don't need any surgery for, and we're going to send them to you, 
um, that requires some amblyopia therapy, doesn't it? Is it Absolutely. just amblyopia, or is there other things that often accompany that? So there's a lot of different things that can go along with amblyopia, especially with kids and even with adults that struggle with it. Um, like you said, talking about suppression of the eye. Um, what I like to tell, especially our kiddos, when trying to explain about amblyopia and what that means is you have a very, very quiet eye, which is the one that the brain has chosen to ignore, and you have a very bossy eye. It's like having two siblings. <laughs> one always likes to talk over to the other, but at some point, that really bossy eye may get tired, too. So you can see a lot of different struggles come out of that. So you can see the ability to process the information because, again, sometimes that brain is ignoring one of those eyes and we have to teach that eye to speak up a little bit louder. Um, You can see suppression. You can see even teeming. So because of that eye being ignored by the brain, a lot of that depth perception is missed um, because we need two very healthy and very well-communicating eyes to give all of the information to the brain to really see and enjoy depth. So if you take one of your kiddos to a 3D movie and they don't see anything, it's a really good indication that they may have something going on and it may be amblyopia, it may be something a little different, but typically you're going to see some of these other things that are going to come into that um, amblyopia diagnosis. Some of those can be accommodative, that ability to clear things near and far. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it can be a tracking issue when they're reading, one of their eyes is giving out, so you may see a jump in their eye and they may skip words or even entire lines. Um, So not just amblyopia, though we do get a lot of cases that are just strictly amblyopia, but typically you're going to see it affect a lot of other pieces of that brain because, again, your brain is very plastic. Um, So there's a lot of pieces that intertwine and communicate to really figure out the world around you. Um, So not only just amblyopia, but you're going to see a lot of other processing things in there and functional things that will go along with that. It's interesting you mentioned the word plastic because when I first heard that something was plastic, I was thinking of a hard plastic, like rigid. But it's really quite the opposite, isn't it? We're talking about plasticity being a very moldable, could-be-changeable thing. And we've even... And there was a great neurologist that wrote a book on, um, I think it was called Fixing My Gaze, perhaps, that uh, was somebody in her 40s that had to relearn how to how to do this. And we thought before, oh, well, that can't happen at that age. I mean, and she now professes very strongly from personal experience how plastic, moldable the brain is, and that it can be rewired, relearned, even at a later age. We typically have more success at a younger age when it's even more plastic, right? <laughs> but um, So that, that's really interesting that you mentioned the, the bossy eye. I think we can all relate to that a little bit better than a term, you know, we, we medical people we go, oh, it's amblyopia, but I can relate better to a bossy eye and a you know, a quieter eye, if yeah. you will, like that. I can relate also to a bossy wife and a quieter husband. No, anyway, <laughs> separate subject altogether. And um, I've only heard that in reference to others, of course. So, so anyway, so amblyopia, though, I will say this. This is, I think amblyopia is reflective of this whole field of therapy. We knew from a doctor's standpoint that we were getting good results for decades. And yet there are some especially academicians in this area. Um, And, you know, even some of those who are pediatric 
specialists in ophthalmology who really do surgery who wanted to believe that all you needed to do was just line up the eyes with surgery. And they provide a valuable function. But then said, oh, all that stuff about teaming the eyes and, and function, that's a, bunch of, that's a bunch of guru stuff. That really doesn't work. And yet now, over time, when ophthalmology and optometry combine in the amblyopia therapy studies, and I'll bet there have been over 20 of those published, um, now all of a sudden, oh, well, now we've validated that it works. And that's a lot of the way that we see in all of medicine. We come up with an idea, we have an inference, we check it out clinically, and we say, you know, this seems to be working. The research to validate that sometimes takes a year sometimes takes a decade sometimes takes 50 years before but you know it's working before that and so what i find interesting is that some people who trained in medicine a long time ago may have been taught well you know that amblyopia stuff you just need to line up the eyes and and they don't get it because they 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 haven't been keeping up with the literature and the literature now has validated so convincingly how we can help a weaker eye that now most people oh well that's now we all believe that well that runs into other things like how we converge our eyes how we focus our eyes the second area of teaming tracking focusing we've had an inference and we've had work there for a couple decades at least if not three that that can be aided that can be improved and we've got a lot of good studies there, not as much as in amblyopia, but we've got really good scientific evidence. But let's get into that area, because let's say I have two healthy functioning eyes that see equally. They're not turned. I never had a cataract, but I don't read well. There are a lot of other things that go into this neuromuscular system, aren't they, Holly? Absolutely. What do you see there? So when we talk about the different pieces um, to vision therapy, so we talked about amblyopia and how the brain kind of relates to that. But again, it's all about that brain-eye connection. So when we see teaming issues where the eyes aren't working together, that's also a brain thing. We can see turns with teaming because, again, for you to see depth and for you to focus in and keep things single, both of your eyes have to be looking at that one point, that convergence on a certain point. And they have to be taking those accurate pictures and then sending two accurate pictures back into the brain for them to then smush it together in the brain to see what you want to see. Um, But in that, there's also, we have our teaming, eyes working together. We have our tracking system. So that's going to be the system where when you're in motion, okay, we're keeping everything from blurring. Our eyes are following what we're doing adequately. Or if I'm reading, I'm looking at a certain point on my page. I'm converging in on those words. But that peripheral vision is also engaged in that point uh, to where I know where I'm going and making those smooth movements from left to right. Um, It's also going to go into the pursuit of items. So when you're throwing a ball or when you're following moving objects, that ability to move your head goes away at a certain level when your kiddos are developing. If it goes up past 9, 10, 11 and your kid is moving that head while they're Mm -hmm. reading, that's a tracking problem. Mm -hmm. That's when they're saying their brain is too tired to follow along or it's 
peripheral vision is too focused in and they have that tunnel vision, that they have to move their head to accommodate it. Our brains are amazing at finding accommodations for weaknesses within it. Whether we're aware of it or not, you can see your kid tilt that head if they're not getting the teaming that they need. You can see them getting really, really close if the accommodative system's not working. So that ability to focus and clear those items. You can have them again with the tracking, jumping across pages. You can have them skipping words. If they're skipping words every now and again, that's okay. But if it's on a consistent basis or they completely avoid near work, then that can be a sign of that tracking issue um, and teaming issues on different levels. And then we go into that focusing system, that ability to clear near, far, and everywhere in between. And there's two pieces to that. There's going to be the what am I looking at? And the where am I looking at? So where am I looking is, okay, I'm looking at Dr. Jeff in front of me. I know where I'm going. I'm looking directly at you. I know how far away you are. We've got that teaming going. And then focusing, I know I need to know the details. I need to know what I am looking at. And my ability to clear you currently is blurry because I do not have my glasses on. <laughs> but if I had my glasses on, it's going to help that system clear it up. I know that that's a weakness in my vision. And that's something that can be helped. Accommodative is different from acuity mm-hmm. um, in the fact that I have astigmatism. So I have blurs here and there, mainly at my distance um, because of that. And my eyes overwork at convergence. And that's different. So at the end of the day, when I've worked super hard on reading or going from near and far, my near vision, even though it's clear most of the time, especially when I wear my glasses, at the end of the day, when I'm super exhausted, it goes blurry too. So that is a really good indicator of when your kids are fighting you on reading or they're getting tired in class, they're refusing to do activities. Sometimes they'll give out a diagnosis of ADHD to kiddos that have an accommodative issue. It's not that. It's that maybe they're seeing double. Their eyes are giving them improper, improperly aligned pictures. Um, or things are moving on the page that accommodative that brain doesn't know where to look where it is how far it is is the teaming and if that is what you're looking at for eight hours a day I'm not going to want to do that schoolwork either I want to get up and move I want to do something that my brain has accommodated my body to deal with yeah I look at any child that I'm evaluating for a comprehensive eye health and vision exam, when I'm looking in their history and they have a diagnosis of ADD or ADHD, I immediately think, have they had a vision therapy consultation? Because in the comprehensive eye health and vision exam, we, we are, just like you said, we're addressing the eye health, we're re- addressing the refractive or prescription state, we're also doing some gross binocular, how the eyes work together, but not at the depth or the level or the sustained action that we need need like you would have to do for school. So I love that when you mentioned the compensatory things that the brain comes up with, right? It either compensates by turning my head or moving my head instead of moving my eyes, or a lot of kids, it compensates by going, I'm seeing double or it's not clear. Do you think you're going to stare at that all day long? No, you're going to find something else to do like, hey, John, or bother the person next to you, or look up, or ignore what you're doing, because nobody wants to see a messed up image, right? Absolutely. So the compensatory mechanism for the brain can be act at, can act out visually 
in something in a non-visual fashion. Okay. So, um, and and you know, if we've got the ability to do something other than drugs to help some kids, holy cow! That's I think every parent would agree that that's better. So, kids can have twenty twenty vision because that's what we as parents we go. Oh, well, my child sees twenty twenty, but that's measured at distance, and it they still can have significant problems at near, don't they? So reading or looking at computers. Absolutely. We see a lot of kiddos that come in, and they can pass a 2020 screening at school or even in an office, um, and they can see double. They can see those pictures move and blur, and that's an accommodative issue. Usually when I, I try and explain it to people how their kids are dealing with accommodative issues in particular. So last year I went to Japan and we took a 15 hour flight home and I had the fantastic idea to go without sleep the night before. Um, So if ever you have gone about 24 hours without sleep and you try and read something, you're going to see the struggles your kids are dealing with every single day. Not that I'm condoning going 24 (laughs) hours with sleep because it's a bad idea. Mm -hmm. But you can physically see those things move and change, and it's because their brain is confused about where that is in space. So then things can blur. But these kids are passing these screenings, and they're falling through those cracks in our system because they have not been told that what they see is not normal. They think seeing two trees in front of them when there's only one is normal. Or they think that a blurry face or a halo is normal. And they can pass those 2020 screenings. Mm -hmm. They are really good at cheating the system. (laughs) Because they have figured out that this is what they're supposed to be seeing. And they'll figure out what they need to tell you. And they also are not being told that what they see is wrong. Or that it can be better. Right. I find that uh, one of the technologies that you use and that we use in the clinic also now uh, as a testing device is a neurobinocular right eye test. They call it right eye, but it's the right and the left eyes, but it's just a crazy name. But the neurobinocular test that allows us to track eye movements and then show exactly on a graph and dynamically how the right and the left eyes are moving across the page. Because for we as parents, it's hard when, when, when somebody says, well, your child is, is not seeing right at, up close. Well, they look at their eyes. They look right. I got two of them there, and they look like they're aimed. We can't see what they're seeing. But with this neurobinocular test, one that's easy, they just read material. We watch their eyes move back and forth and up and down and around in circles. You can really see how the eyes are working or are not working together. And that's, a, that's an important thing. If, we, if, I, if I'm a parent and I've had a full eye exam and I feel like, geez, that's something I need to have checked in my child, that's really something that, that they could call vision therapy. It could call performance vision therapy and get that just set up just as a screening device, right? It's $99 for mm-hmm. more information about how your child sees up close than you could ever imagine or I could ever tell you by testing just myself. And I've been doing this optometry thing for a long time, and I think I'm pretty good at that, but not as good as that test, right? Indeed. It's a fantastic tool. Um, Before, like our doctors are very good at diagnosing because that's their field, but a lot of optometrists don't know a lot about vision therapy. And that right eye test really helps us to show the parents what their kids' struggles are. It's a visual press play. This is what my eyes are doing when I'm reading, or this is what I'm doing when I'm focusing. Um, so it is a fantastic uh, evaluation tool to get that conversation started with the parent or with the schools even, letting them know that these are the accommodations they're going to need 
to help them just be successful. We can even do that on adults, too, and it's very revealing there also because you don't tend to become better at this as an adult. You tend to just find more ways to compensate, right? Exactly. And a lot of that is, oh, I just don't read much because I've never been a good reader, right? What what is the the performance vision therapy number if people say, you know, I'd I'd like to have... That, that test that Dr. Keg and Holly talked about on the podcast, I just want to see how my eyes work. I want to see how my child's eyes work. What's yeah. the phone number? So our number is going to be 615-905-4668. Very good. Very good. And I think, and we'll give Dr. Martin's email at the end of this because a lot of times parents will say... I'm, I think my child may need this, but at the exam, things were okay. I'd like to talk with somebody, and we'd like to have Dr. Martin or Dr. Kelly talk directly, and so we'll give the email at the end of this program for that. We've got a couple of other things that we want to we want to touch on. Um, so let's say we've identified a need in one of these areas we, we talked about, the teaming, the tracking, the focusing, the weaker eye, the bossy eye, all of this, and, we, and we're going to have physical therapy for the eyes. Um, how often... Do you need to see the kids? How long does that last to get some meaningful results, Holly? Absolutely. So, one, the biggest thing that we want to look at is what are our diagnoses? What are we working with? If I have an amblyopic kiddo or adult, that's going to take a little bit longer because not only are we going to have to work on how well those eyes are working together and independently, We're also going to have to work on the brain part of that, and that can tend to take a little bit longer. So typically with our amblyopes and some of our other struggling diagnoses, you're going to see about 30 weeks, um, and we're going to see them one hour every single week. You'll see the same doctor, same therapist, same hour of the day. We want to keep it consistent. Um, And then about halfway through, you're going to see the doctor again for that progress evaluation. Now, for the kiddos that are less struggling, maybe they're dealing with some teaming, focusing, tracking issues, or even just visual processing issues, those are going to be a little bit less. So our base is typically 20 weeks, um, and we will see you the same way, same day, same time, same doctor, uh, once a week for about an hour. Um, And then we also have some other uh, options available now, which is very exciting. I know COVID's been kind of a crazy time for everybody, but we've had some fantastic plants come out of this uh, season of just craziness. Um, So we have moved to also offering online. So if you go on vacation, you have the ability to still do your vision therapy with your therapist. Um, You can do online if your kid struggles with social anxieties. We want them to be comfortable in that Mm -hmm, atmosphere mm -hmm. because if they're comfortable, if they're engaged in what they're going to do, they're going to build those neural pathways a lot faster. They're going to last a lot longer and they're going to really benefit from the therapies. Um, A newer one that we just started was in-home therapy as well. So we can come to your home and do the therapies with your child. Now, therapy is most successful when you have at-home activities. So think about going to the gym. If you only ever go to the gym one day a week for an hour and only work the left side of your body, you're going to look a little weird. Um, But it's going to take you a lot longer to build up those muscles. 
and a lot longer to build up that muscle memory. So think of it just like that. We're building up muscle and muscle memory. So connections with the muscle and the brain. Um, So we always ask our kids to do at-home activities. Typically, they're going to only last for about 15 to 20 minutes, five nights a week. We try and select items for your kiddo that are customized to what they like to do. Because again, if they are engaged in those activities, that neural pathway and that information that we are teaching the muscles in the brain to absorb is really going to um sorry about that um (laughs) we're in the middle of seeing patients and so we will frequently have patients walk by wave at us in the window so we're trying to be authentic here this is live from cool springs eye care in franklin tennessee as i see it i'm talking with holly weaver about vision therapy and the benefits for your for your child and and given that we try to cover enough information to get parents to think about and understand this better holly let me just kind of wrap a couple of things by saying we're talking about kiddos but mm-hmm. this can be kiddos at any age can it is it only Indeed. for elementary and middle school kids no 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 not at all like we said before um your brain is extremely plastic so yes it's going to be easier for our kiddos to benefit from vision therapy they're going to build those pathways a lot faster but I'm 32 years old. If I wanted to play the piano, I can learn to play the piano. Is it going to be easy? No, but I can do it. The oldest I've ever seen was at 85. Mm -hmm. The youngest I've seen was three. So there is a huge benefit to everybody in that spectrum, and even older, I'm sure. Um, They just haven't walked through my door yet. Um, but they, the, they may after this podcast. Exactly. But, I, yeah, we take everybody, all ages. We can help and benefit you at any age. Depends on the goals, doesn't it? And it depends Indeed. on what you've been through because some people may have had a traumatic brain injury. That's a whole separate subject of other therapy that is needed, uh, both from a visual and from a brain standpoint. Um, I always like to tell the parents if they say, boy, 30, 30 weeks or 20 weeks, I go, wait, wait, wait. No, it's not that. It may be 30 weeks, 30 hours, Mm -hmm. and the benefit is going to be for a lifetime, like Mm -hmm. 60 years. Investing 30 hours is nothing to get a 60 to 80-year benefit for your child. So, really, you're talking about an accrued benefit over so many years that it's kind of insignificant like that. I know Susan and I, getting back to the issue um, of it not just being for for younger kids, um, Susan and I have... uh, Uh, two of our daughters that are now physicians and so they've gone through a lot of schooling and I know one of those daughters after college and she was nearly a straight A student all through college so incredibly smart great grades doing everything but she just didn't feel like she retained information or could read as quickly and and so how did she compensate she had to study forever where other people it took them less time Um, so she found a way to compensate but that really greatly impeded a whole lot of other activities she might like to have been involved in. And we knew starting med school that that was only going to increase. And so she wanted to go through vision therapy. We found she had a convergence issue and worked on some of those processes. And it was really, really helpful for her in getting in, not in getting into med school, but in, in her work in med school at being able to capture now even a, a larger volume of material in a shorter amount of time. Um, I'm sure she could have done it either way. But again, it's just to show that it's not just, oh, before you get to high school or before you get to college. Heck, 
we can validate that it was beneficial for one of our children prior to her becoming and getting her her physician training. So um, better better good at any time. Holly, any other thoughts or information you would like patients or parents to know about treating amblyopia or muscle issues with physical therapy for the eyes at Performance Vision Therapy? Absolutely. So if you take nothing else away from this, really get that information for your kiddos. Come and see us for a ride eye, even if you just think that maybe they just don't like reading, or maybe if you feel like they're smart and everything else, just not in school. It could be one of those issues. Just walk through our door. We'll take very good care of you. You can get the right eye, and that'll give you a little bit of peace of mind. Whether you think they have an issue or not, whether they've passed a screening or not, get them tested. Let them see what they're, let you see what they may be struggling with that you can't see. Um, that's I my think biggest that's thing. Great. I think that's that's great. So, um, and again, when we're talking about the right eye, we're talking about just one of the many computerized and advanced technologies that we use to evaluate and to train and do therapy with you or your child. So, I really, really appreciate. Uh, you spending some time with us, Holly. Uh, thanks for sharing both your time, your experience, your wisdom, and about vision therapy and the significant impact it can have on our patients. It's just one more example of how Cool Springs and Donaldson Eye Care patients get more than good eye care, a great health care experience. So thank you, Holly. You're welcome. <laughs> To schedule a vision therapy consultation, call Performance Vision Therapy at 615-905-4668. That number again is 615-905-4668. And of course, if you have any additional questions, feel free to email Dr. Katie Martin directly at drmartin at performancevt.com. That's D-R-M-A-R-T-I-N at performancevt.com. Dot com.